0: This episode is brought to you by New Balance. You don't have to be an elite athlete when you pound the pavement. Whether you've run five marathons or you only run when necessary. Whether you're chased by bears, zombies, monsters, the apocalypse is coming. But New Balance will have you covered regardless. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Hello, elegant listeners, and welcome to Go My Favorite Sports Team. Today, we have another special guest, um, but before we get into that, I'm Tyler Scheid. I'm the master of sports, the master of balls and holes, and I'm joined with my co-host, Markiplier, who knows sports a lot less.
1: This is the third time in front of a guest he's just said that title, and he doesn't seem embarrassed <laughs> about it. It's an inside <laughs> joke that I don't even know where it started, but he just like, took it to himself Uh, one of our fans called him the master of balls and holes and he's just like he's really embraced it so don't (laughs) mind him he doesn't know what he's talking about half the time i'm mark i uh i don't know sports but the funny thing is our guest today tyler and i both know a little bit about this ourselves tyler more than i I don't climb outside. I climb inside in uh, in uh, bouldering gyms where there's nice cushy paddings. Tyler's the one that goes outside on actual rocks and uh, does... I, Tyler, you've done a little bit of free-soling yourself, right?
0: Yes, I have. Um, Two of the flat irons in Boulder, Colorado, I've free Um, mm-hmm. I actually have plans to finish out all of them with my brother here. Hopefully... We'll do another one this year and hopefully finish it out within the next couple of years. So this is what blows my mind is like, I can't even fathom the idea
1: of doing this, let alone uh, not being in an air conditioned building, but we've gone too long. Our guest today is Alex Honnold, professional climber and literally nothing else. We were instructed to say no other (laughs) defining (laughs) traits about this man.
0: Yeah, you know, nothing about the Oscar winning documentary or the fact that he's the only person to ever free solo Yosemite's uh, El Cap, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing else, just professional climber extraordinaire. Well, I just climb a lot of things, you know, why, why, why list them all? You know, like you just do a lot of climbing.
2: Did Did you start on rocks
0: or did you? Oh, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Our different priorities here of our yeah. questions here so let's talk about your i didn't know
2: won an oscar that's awesome yeah yeah it was quite a quite a crazy tour a lot of time in hollywood doing the yeah. whole the whole rounds was that different? Like, cause being
1: YouTubers and sorry, Tyler, we'll get to the rock climbing in just a second. (laughs) I swear. Um, but being a YouTuber, like the, both of us, we don't exist in the traditional, like Hollywood sphere. Every time, like I go to a red carpet event, I'm the most uncomfortable I've ever been. I hate red carpets. Like, do you feel the same way?
2: Yeah, I definitely felt the same way though. Through the whole free solo film tour, I got more comfortable basically Mm -hmm. because it it actually felt a lot like uh, a climbing training program. It felt like periodized training because it was six months of nonstop events and the events progressively got more difficult and, and bigger. You know, it was like you're going to the Audio Guild Awards and then you're going to the Directors Guild Awards and then you're going to the Producers Awards and then you're going to the BAFTAs like the British Academy Awards. And then you go to the actual Oscars, the Academy Awards. Uh, You know, and then later we went to the Emmys and all those kinds of things. But basically each red carpet gets like bigger and more intimidating. You know, and so it's like you basically build up to it. So by the time we were doing the crazy ones like the Oscars, you're kind of like, oh, well, I did this other thing last week. And uh, (laughs) it it was like it literally felt like I was training for it. I was like,
0: this is totally insane. As an athlete, one of the things is like a lot of other professional athletes, like for football, basketball, all of that, they're required media time. Most climbers don't generally get media time. At least not very often. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Yeah, yeah so it, did it like feel like you were a caged animal, just everybody's watching it, like you're in an aquarium or something, and they're all just kind of like poking at you to get answers?
2: I mean, a little bit. It's funny, when you do events, I always think of myself as a piece of meat that's being shipped around the country in a little box, like when you're getting put on planes and put in cars and being sent to a little thing, and then you get immediately put in a different car to go to a different thing. I always think of myself as like a rare piece of tuna getting shipped around. <laughs> You know, it's like you just get put in your can, sent somewhere. People, people nibble. You know, this is
1: this is hilariously relatable because this is exactly how I felt uh, in any event that I've ever gone to. Uh, I went to the only thing I've ever gone to besides movie premieres was the Emmys, since so one of my shows was nominated. The ghost. Uh, one of my shows is nominated. And did you have someone with, like going in front of you with a little piece of paper that being like, "This is who this is"?
2: Or did everyone <sighs> already know you? Yeah, there's always the publicist being like, "Here's this person. Like, make sure you get a picture of them." And you're kind of like, if they don't know and they don't care, do we need to tell them to care? It's like slightly embarrassing. That's what yeah. I said. That's exactly <laughs> yeah, totally, what I said. Tyler totally. knows. I talk about this all yeah. the time. It's like
1: I'm not going to force them to know who I am. If they want a picture, they can get one. I'm, I'm not going to ask them because why would I do
2: that? When people ask like, "Oh, are you the really famous person or something?" You're like, "Well, if you have to ask, then obviously not. It's like clearly, yeah. clearly that's a no because you don't have to ask. You know, when someone sees like Leonardo DiCaprio, they're not like, "Hey, are you that famous guy that was in a movie?" They're like, "No, that's fucking Leonardo DiCaprio." Oh, are we allowed to curse? Is yeah, this Oh exactly. yeah, yeah, we that's can curse. That's so right. Yeah,
1: okay. That is the craziest thing, and it's just it just comes from this place of truth like it's just like why why all this song and dance for something and i get the pomp and the circumstance like some people need it and like it's good to celebrate the project because i watched free solo and it was a very compelling uh movie and i really enjoyed it but sometimes all of that the song and dance around everything just like taints the original meaning behind it i think like um people that just want to like celebrate it in terms of the accolades of it instead of actually understanding like what went into it um and the kind of sacrifice for it
2: that drives me insane. When people celebrate the success of the thing rather than the thing itself. When you're like, oh, I put years of work, you know, I've been I've been climbing full time for 20 uh, years. 20- seven years or something like basically my whole you know I'm, I'm 37 like basically since I was a 10 year old I've been climbing full time like climbing five days a week and like put my whole life into it put tons of work into it and then someone's like oh wow you have so many you know ex followers on whatever social media platform because you're the guy that freestyles in Yellowstone and you're like oh <laughs> man they're like come on it's not even you're like what like who cares about any of that stuff like I've devoted my whole life to trying to do something at a high level and do it as well as I possibly can and all you care about is that you know like someone wants to get a cell with you like that is so lame
1: yeah yeah exactly i'm so glad to hear it because the uh, man I, i could go endlessly about it because that's that's also a very similar story i haven't been doing like we haven't been doing this stuff for as long like i've been doing youtube for 11 years Um, and it's just such a violently different world. I approached it just because I loved making shit and I love the idea of independently making stuff. But when you get to a certain level, there's suddenly this expectation, uh, that, and assumptions that people have about who you are and what kind of, uh, steps you took and like the, or not even ignoring like the steps behind. Um, but I could talk endlessly about that. I'll let Tyler actually talk about the sport of it all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I was actually curious because I know you started rock climbing at a young age, but did you climb trees before you found like rock walls and stuff? Yeah, I climbed everything basically by
2: sheer good fortune. A climbing gym opened in my hometown when I was 10-ish. And so my parents read about it in the paper and they took me in and, you know, I sort of fell into rock climbing that way. But I was already climbing on buildings and climbing on fences and, you know, trees. I just loved, you know, the movement of, of getting up on things and playing around. I love the air. Like, I love being up high. No, that was me as a kid, too. No, sorry,
1: Tyler. I'll let you talk up on my.
2: You're good. You're good.
0: good. (laughs) It's really funny because did you ever get in trouble doing that? Because I grew up with my brother, and my brother did the same thing. My brother uh, is a lot of the reason why I got into climbing. Um, I did scouts and some of that other stuff, but um, my brother was climbing trees. When I was really little and so I started following up him up the trees as we got older. He started getting kicked out of parks and different things for climbing on (laughs) stuff. Did that ever happen to you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I
2: I don't know. I don't actually remember getting in serious trouble though. I broke my arm a couple times as a kid falling off of play structures and falling out of trees and things. I don't know. I I mean, I I actually now have a a daughter who's a, a year and a quarter. And I got to say, raising a kid, I'm like, I really think that climbing is a pretty elemental movement pattern. Like it's, it's basic, you know, it's innate, like everybody likes to climb, like kids are all into it. I mean, she loves clamoring up on things and, and like getting up and exploring. I kind of think that that's innate in all humans, but you just learn, you learn your way out of it. You know, you sort of develop fear, you get told not to, you get told that it's dangerous. And so people sort of learn their way away from it.
1: Which is such a silly thing because it is very fundamental. I think it's proven that like kids have greater grip strength than anything else just because they need to like hold on to their parents or whatever. But as I was a kid, I was doing the same thing. I was jumping up on play sets and stuff like that. Um, I broke my arm having a how far out the monkey bars can you jump? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But it kind of all ended. and I think like the reason I'm so like fear averse now is because I was having a how how far up the stairs can you jump? Contest with my brother, and we set up, you know, couch cushions at the bottom. Um, and I bounced off of the couch cushions apparently. I don't remember this, and my head went right into the corner of the railing. Um, and then apparently, (sighs) blood everywhere. And again, don't remember a thing. I woke up in the emergency room being like, What happened? (laughs) Um, but ever since then, I've never climbed up on as much stuff as I did in the past. Uh, but I still love climbing, I still love going to the gym. I just, I'm very much of the mind, like, Tyler's crazy. And his brother's crazier <laughs> for all the kind of stuff they do. And I guess by association, I'm calling you crazy for what you do.
2: Yeah. So then therefore I must be super crazy because oh, yeah, I think absolutely. the things I'm doing are in a different category than but
1: when you get past a certain amount of crazy, it just, it's all the same crazy. So it's all I just admire crazy. what yeah. you're yeah, going yeah.
2: up here. Yeah. What, uh, what, what gym do you climb in?
1: Oh, I, I live in LA, so there's a few places, Stronghold that we Tyler and I used to go to Stronghold, and then there's this new one, um, another touchstone place that opened up nearby here.
2: Cliffs of it or the or the Hollywood
1: Boulders. I've been to Hollywood Boulders. Yeah. Hmm. I there's one out in Pasadena that just opened up that's pretty nice. I like that one. Oh,
2: there's a new touchstone gym in, in Pasadena.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh right it's actually in Altadena. Um, and it's got about like 50 foot. Uh, rope walls, Tyler. I actually <clears> meant <throat> to tell you that they actually have pretty high uh, rope walls, and I think they even have like a, a a lead climbing course. I've never done any of that. Tyler taught me how to tie a figure eight like six years ago, <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I'm very new to all of this. Tyler got me into it, actually.
0: Yeah, getting into top rope and doing that stuff, which is primarily what I've climbed. Um, my brother does trad, and he does sport climbing as well. But trad is the part that just baffles me—just the ability to understand and carry all of that equipment and put it in. The the part that terrifies me, and I don't know if you feel the same way. For whatever reason, I feel more comfortable without the equipment than I do with it. That just means you don't know how to use the equipment yet.
2: I, ah. I, I was the same way. No, no. I, I was the exact same way when I learned how to to trad climb, like when I learned how to mm-hmm. place gear. Because at that point, I'd already been climbing in the gym for 10 years, and I was already like quite a good climber. And so I felt confident in my climbing. But I just didn't trust the gear at all because I hadn't really mm-hmm. used it and I hadn't fallen on it. And so it was hard to believe that some of these little pieces of metal would would catch me if I fell, you know, 20 feet onto them or something. And right. so then you wind up climbing in such a way, you, you basically are Almost pretending that you don't have a rope and you don't have gear because you trust your ability to climb, but you don't trust anything else in the system. And you're like, oh, geez, this is so scary. But then over time, you you know, you wind up taking those falls. You learn that the gear does all work. It all holds properly. Like, you, you know, you learn to trust yourself and how well you can place the gear. And and then eventually uh, climbing on gear winds up feeling about the same as climbing on on bolts, like, you know, sport climbing or climbing in the gym or whatever else. It's like once you really trust all the elements of the system, it all just feels like climbing. And actually, as, as you were just starting to talk about, you know, the different types of climbing that you do. I mean, you know, if this is a uh, sporting podcast and we're actually talking about like sports more broadly, I think it's actually kind of important to to note that, you know, there are a bunch of different as like aspects of climbing. There, there are a lot of different subdisciplines. But fundamentally, they're all just climbing. They're all moving your body over rock or plastic. Running is running. You can do it at different distances, at different intensities. But it's like the form is basically the same. You're still moving your body in the same way. And so I think climbing is basically just climbing. The other things are a matter of, uh, you know, things that you learn, like how to use the gear, like uh, learning the medium, like the different types of rock and things like that, like changing styles. But it's like climbing is fundamentally always the same.
0: I mean, also with like longer climbs, the ability to understand where you can take an opportunity to rest and kind of relax one hand and get get that pump a little bit subdued for a moment so that you can get back into it. Like that's one of the things that I've always had a struggle with because I have a fear of heights and it's it's weird being a climber that has a fear of heights.
2: There are a surprising number of climbers that are afraid of heights. I think that's not uncommon.
0: Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because I think they're just
2: well, a lot of people get into climbing because they're trying to manage a fear of heights in some ways. yeah, you know, or people are really afraid of it, so they go to the gym trying to tackle their fears and then and then they really like climbing for whatever reason. They like the movement, they like the the problem solving component. or they just like pushing past their fear and and, you know, sort of overcoming that that part of themselves. but it's it's definitely common to meet people who are passionate climbers. Who also say that they're afraid of heights? Though fundamentally, you're probably better off not being afraid of heights if you want to be a yeah. rock You know,
1: <laughs> yeah. turn that switch off. You know, why, why are you bringing that up with you on the mountain?
0: I know in the free solo thing, they they did the MRI and everything and looked into your stimulation as far as like fears and stuff go. And yours is like requires a lot more. Do you feel like that gives you an advantage or do you think that fear actually adds a focus element to it? I mean, there's a level in which fear can be paralyzing, but there's a level in which it makes you so much more aware.
2: Yeah, actually. So that scene in Free Solo is, is a little oversimplified, I think. And and that was taken. Uh, I was actually there with a print journalist. Uh, this guy was writing for Nautilus magazine, uh, which is like this science magazine. And they were sort mm-hmm. of doing like a deeper dive into to how my brain responds to fear and things. And so I think that the. The scene in the film is maybe not taken out of context, but just a little too short and too too pithy, you know, where you're like, oh, well, he just doesn't feel fear. And you're like, well, really, I think that that the takeaway from that whole experience was more that I have sort of desensitized myself to a certain level of stimulus over time. And so it's not so much that I don't experience fear. It's just that I wasn't really registering from that test. Because, you know, the test that we were doing to measure fear, you're looking at black and white pictures in an MRI tube.
0: Yeah, you're not on a rock face or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. Like, Like
2: I've conditioned myself to a higher level of fear response or a different level. Uh, You know, looking at a picture, I mean, typically that still registers the same part in the brain for people. But if you've spent the last 10 or 15 years of your life consistently being really scared for your own safety, like, clearly a picture isn't going to do it for you. You know, I feel fear. It just takes a lot more to, you know, like, I actually have to feel like I'm in danger to feel fear.
1: That's such a funny description because literally my career for the past 10 years, I've been playing nothing but horror games. So I also have conditioned myself to be a lot more tolerant of scares and loud noises than I was 10 years ago. But that doesn't mean that I'm less scared of anything. It's just like if you show me a scary picture or play a scary game, it takes more to get me scared. I'll be just as scared towards the end of it if I can get there. But it's just like, yeah, it is that kind of desensitization. If you do something for
2: so long. And you're probably just as afraid of of public speaking or whatever, like snakes or, you know, random other things that people are afraid of. It's like yeah. just because you've really conditioned yourself in some ways doesn't mean that you're not afraid of anything else. You know, it's like you're you're probably still afraid of commitment or whatever, you know, <laughs> afraid of like. Of, uh, Why are you
0: speaking to uh, the
2: How are you speaking to exactly we're
0: getting called out here
2: (laughs) yeah i mean that's the thing though people are like oh he just doesn't feel fear and you're like no i've just you know there are certain things that are not as scary as they used to be and even that i know is a conditioned response over time because i remember when certain aspects of climbing used to be incredibly scary and now you know 20 years later they just feel pretty normal and pretty routine or whatever it's like anything you do a lot of you you get good at Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah
0: and you still climb regularly. So do you do you find yourself climbing more in gyms or going out and climbing on the the rock faces nearby? I uh, know
2: I'm outside as much as I can. I mean, you know, when I when I travel for work or anything, if I'm doing events, then I'll go to the gym. But I probably climb five days a week when I'm at home. Then it's almost entirely on rock because uh, I, I live outside Las Vegas and there's like limitless good rock that you can climb year round. You know, it just depends where I am and what time of year and everything. But basically, I climb all the time.
1: You know, it's funny. My my one takeaway from watching Free Solo was, yeah, he climbed a mountain. That was super cool man, your van was sick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it put this desire for me to have like a fully converted van that I could just tour around the country and go wherever I want, like take all my equipment with me, like just build out and live in a van. For a while there, before I'd even seen the movie, I, I did like this video series where I bought a five a, a van for $5,000. Someone had kitted it out and had a bed in the back of it. And I just like became infatuated with this idea of like having all that I have on the road. And I still want to, I still haven't, Gotten like a really good one or or converted one myself. Like, do you still have the van? <laughs> That's the question. I well,
2: have. so actually, I, I I accidentally flipped the van that was in Free Solo, but um, but was totally fine. But then I, it turns out that my wife was. Uh, we found out my wife is pregnant right after, so we kind of need a different van anyway because we need a kid seat, we need uh, like a chair and a kid's bed and the whole thing. Uh, so now we have a different van which with a little kids room. And actually, next week we're going to be going on the road for for the whole month of June, going to uh, climbing in, in Washington.
0: Oh, that's so nice. yes,
2: yeah, so we'll be full full van life again for a while. I mean, we tend to do maybe a couple months a year in the van still.
0: Do you feel like now that you're a father, it's kind of changed how you, you approach things? Or are you still doing the same stuff and and putting yourself out there in the same ways? I mean, I'm still basically
2: doing the same things. You know, I mean, obviously being a father has changed how I spend my time. Uh, Actually, I mean, the biggest day-to-day difference is that when I go to the cliff now, I'm just in a little bit more of a hurry where I like hustle to the cliff, get my climbing in, hustle home just to to sort of minimize my time away when possible. When you're like a mid-20s single guy living in a car, you just spend the whole day hanging out at the cliff because you're like, well, I'm just going back to my car anyway. Like what else? You know, you just like hang out at the cliff. Uh, now I'm, I'm trying to spend as much time at home as, as possible or as much time with with the family as possible while still doing the same amount of climbing yeah just being more strategic about things still climbing all the same stuff though
1: so i, I have a question that's um just just hearing you talk about in this way is, is interesting because what i what i sometimes think about is being a, a public facing figure i know that i have this kind of influence on people i hate the term influencer and like stuff like that um but i know that there is an influence in terms of inspiring people and uh, inspiring people to do what i do and people ask me all the time like how do i get started and, like making youtube videos and, and whatever have you um but with what you do specifically Specifically, it's it's different. And even I'd say it's different than like with uh, some sports where, you know, it's a it's a sport and it's dangerous. But with free solo in particular, it's a free solo in particular, it's exceptionally dangerous. And yet, given the popularity of the movie, I'm sure people were inspired about it. Do you ever think about the idea that you are inspiring people I um, mean, something that I have a lot of trouble with sometimes is I'm inspiring people and they ask me and I know that not all of them will succeed, but I would never discourage anyone from doing that. And yet the, the penalty for failure in doing your particular activity is extremely dangerous. Do you ever uh, think about that or, or wrestle with that at all? Um, And if you don't want to talk about this, totally fine, because it's a bit of a grim subject, but no, no, I'm
2: I'm pretty unstressed about that kind of thing. I mean, I do think that there's, you know, responsibility as a public facing person to, to sort of be a good role model, I guess. The thing with free soloing, though, is I actually I think it's probably more comparable to sort of the inspiration that people get from mainstream sports stars than than you might think. Because I think when people watch the NBA, you know, if somebody's like inspired by LeBron James, they're not inspired to go out and play basketball. They're just inspired in a general sense of of pursuing excellence and doing the best they can and the things that they're interested in. And certainly with the film Free Solo, when it was uh, still in theaters and I was doing all these movie events, you know, you would talk to audience, you know, I was doing, I was doing so many film events. And so you, you meet all these audiences and people are like, Oh, I'm so inspired, but none of them are inspired to go free soloing. They're all inspired <laughs> to, to do this difficult thing that they want to in their life. Or, you know, they're inspired to sign up for that first half marathon that they've been thinking about, but haven't been doing because it seems too daunting. You know, it's like, I think the thing with free soloing is it, it helps people put, you know, their own challenges into perspective a little bit, but nobody sees the film. They're like, I'm going to do that. And You know, I know that because I mean, this is kind of a longer conversation about climbing and risk taking and whatever. But but over the 25 plus years that I've been a climber, that kind of dangerous side of climbing has almost died out. Like basically nobody does that anymore. Like nobody is doing the extreme climbing like free soloing is less common than it used to be. Speed climbing is way less common than it used to be. Like basically like certain aspects of climbing that that are that are more dangerous are just not popular anymore and they're not cool and like nobody's doing them. And, you know, I remember 10 or 15 years ago, there they they were definitely more cool, more people were into it. It's like yeah. now, I mean, with the growth of gym climbing and, and sort of indoor climbing culture and like climbing, going into the Olympics, things like that, it's just not... Yep. People might watch Free Solo and get all inspired, but they're just not actually going out and doing anything dangerous. Like, I don't feel bad about inspiring the wrong... I don't know. Because also, I, I kind of think that the main takeaway from the film is that if you're going to do something difficult, put a ton of freaking work into it, like take your time, prepare for it, and, you know, eventually... Try to try to live your dream or whatever, not to be too cliche, too hokey. But it's like, you know, that's something that I wanted to do for 10 years. I want to putting two years of concentrated effort into training for it at a very high level and then eventually being able to do, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, that's not a terrible lesson for people to take from a film.
0: My favorite moment in the film was actually when you stopped when you were going for your first run of trying to actually free solo it. And you stopped and were like, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it. And you felt off and you were just like, I, I want to get down and not do it today because you just something, it just didn't feel right. And that to me was all inspiring in the fact of like acknowledging your feelings and acknowledging yourself and being like. It's just not right. And I don't want to try and force myself through it. You t- took that opportunity to take that break and take a step back and then reevaluate and then continue pursuing it. Some days just aren't your day. You know, yeah. you got to
2: make sure you're, you're choosing the right day. And I think that's actually a big difference between climbing and, and other sports. If, you know, if, if we're uh, really talking about sports on this podcast, I mean, the thing with climbing is that you can always choose your day, you know, most, most, uh, whole and or ball and hole sports, like, like you're, you're the master of, uh, you don't really <laughs> get to choose your day. You know, like you have to perform on whatever day somebody tells you to. And if it's not your day, then you just lose. And, you know, you're like, oh, that's a bummer. But the thing with climbing is, is if you're in tune with your own, I hate to say your own feelings, whatever, but, but you sort of in touch with yourself, you you can kind of tell when it's your time to shine.
1: Yeah. And that's what, that's why I, I like really respect about everything you do. And that's why I respect about climbing. Why I kind of gravitated towards it from Tyler's inspiration is just because it is just you against a wall. You know, it's, it's really you against yourself. Um, and it's all internal and not that I don't like team sports. I haven't had a lot of chance to play many team sports throughout my life. Um, but in a lot of ways it relates to what I do with content creation. And What I love about it is like, I have editors and I have a team and I, I just got off filming like a movie with a big crew and all that. But the real part of it, that I love is coming back into this room and just being able to apply myself and test my skills and push myself and, and reach new levels of concentration. see what I can explore, what skills I can build. Cause I love the craft part of it. And I think like, there's no pure explanation of that when you, with rock climbing is just like, it's so clear. You, you, you are the only one there. I don't, I don't usually climb with, friends most of the time sometimes how and i will go together but it's just like it's just you against a wall and it's very able to just get in your head and i think i think like that's a freeing moment that many people are probably scared of to be able to just be with themselves for that long but it's like to me that's like that's a beautiful moment
2: that's i mean that's definitely one of the things that a lot of people love about climbing though is that it that it can f- force them to be fully focused on a task at hand so they're not distracted they're not thinking about other things they're just performing it's just them and their body doing a thing Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's certainly one of the things I love about climbing is that you're just climbing.
0: One of your uh, one of our audience members, occasionally we we give them some preface and allow them to ask some questions. And one of them kind of asked, like, if it wasn't rock climbing, if somehow rock climbing never existed, it never wasn't around in your life. Is there another sport that you think you would have gravitated towards?
2: It's hard to say. I just don't love anything else the way I love climbing. You know, maybe I could have gotten into like mountain running and things like that. Like I like scrambling in the mountains you know, mountain mm-hmm. biking, like skiing to some extent, like getting around and in, in those kinds of ter- in that kind of terrain. But it's hard to say because, you know, I kind of love all those things now that I'm uh, that I've been a full time climber my whole life. And so I've just spent so much time in the mountains. But, you know, when I was growing up, I was growing up in suburban California and I was just bicycling to the climbing gym. You know, the world of mountain running was so far removed from from anything I knew about. It's like hard to imagine how I ever would have fallen into those kinds of things w- without climbing as as this as this avenue. I don't know. I mean, I, I was definitely on track to just become an engineer and have a normal job. And, you know, like a, I, I mean, I dropped out of university after a year to go climbing. And, you know, if I hadn't been a passionate climber, I'd probably be working as a civil engineer. I right know.
1: That is, that is weirdly familiar. I dropped out of engineering <laughs> school to pursue oh, yeah. YouTube biomedical engineering myself. Uh, but I got four years in. What? Uh, where? Where were you going? I was going to university Cincinnati. Um, um. It was just like, yeah my my mom my stepmom worked at like Turner Construction Company, so originally I was going in for civil engineering too. But I said fuck that, and then I went to an even harder engineering course, and I did four years of that, and then I started like, man, I really got to do something on my own. Um, and that's when I picked up YouTube after trying a few different things first. But yeah, it's just like that feeling of, oh, man, there's something that I love. There's something that I really love that I never knew existed. I didn't have video creation even when I was a kid because I didn't have cameras or anything like that. But it's like when you find that thing you love. That's why I'm so hesitant. And, and I asked that other questions because I'm still like... I tell everyone that asks me, like, how do I start? i like, go for it, go for it today. Like start, like do it. It, it. You may fail, you may not, but it's like the most important thing is to do it and find it because when you find that one thing that you love that you you can't do without, that you would be happy to do every day of your life for and you'd be happy like sliding into the grave doing that thing if you could just get one more mm-hmm. day um that's a beautiful moment and i i i know so many people out there don't get that whether it's climbing or, or football or whatever sport or whatever activity the there's so many people out there that don't even take the first step to try and i i only ever encourage people to take that even if even if failure's on the horizon like it's You never know.
2: Honestly, I mean, I'm only a year into parenting, but I'm starting to think that that is the number one thing that the number one role of a parent is to help your child find anything that they care about that much, like Mm -hmm. to find any kind of passion, like to find things that they're excited about, things that get them out of bed, things that make them want to try hard and like push themselves, you know, whether that's sport or whether that's, you know, art or hopefully not content creation for my daughter, but you know what we'll to say, like, we'll just <laughs> yeah. Like, <I> don't know. <laughs> but, but I mean, but basically anything that gets her up, gets her motivated, like gets her passionate, you know, because it's like, you only have your one life. You may as well do stuff that you care about that you enjoy doing your whole life. I mean, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I've had climbing to put all my energy into my entire life. I mean, I think I'm starting to realize now what a gift it's been just to like something that inspires you enough to lead a healthy lifestyle and like, you know, get enough sleep and like basically like lead your best life, you know, like go to bed early, wake up early, like try your hardest and like have a really nice day. And you're like, you know what, like how, how great is it that I found this thing that I love doing enough that it like keeps me on a good track for my whole life. Like it's, yeah, i freaking love climbing. Tyler, what's your thing that gets you out of bed every day? What's your passion? Holes and balls, or balls and holes, (laughs) or (laughs) whatever.
0: Oh yeah, you know that's that's the ultimate thing. a, A master, a
2: master of balls and holes. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, the only reason that kind of came up is it was a joke in an early episode of the podcast um, when I was talking about my master's degree in sport administration. And for the longest time, it was all the variety of sports. Uh, For me, it's it's meeting people and being able to talk to them and hear about what inspires them and finding out, you know, being able to touch somebody's life in a way to where you make an impact or they make an impact on you and being able to learn and expand and and socialize. I'm weird. I'm an extrovert, but uh, I've always found value more in people than anything else. And so I really enjoy being able to create stuff and help other people and being able to make the world kind of a better place or even just make somebody's day. Uh, If if I have an opportunity to make somebody's day in any way, I like to take that opportunity. And that's always been like the biggest reason I like getting out of bed is like, who am I going to meet today? Who am I going to talk to? Whether it's an Uber driver or whoever, I really enjoy getting to know the person. See, I don't get that at all. <laughs> yes, yeah, I don't, e- I don't either. But
2: but I was just thinking, like, this is why it's so important that I think for as a parent that you help your your child like find the thing that they care about because you never really know what what's going to be the passion that gets somebody out of bed. It's like people just have to try things and find their thing you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, I'm definitely an introvert. And that kind of stuff sounds like a nightmare to me, you know, I'm like, oh, man, like, that's, that's not what gets me out of bed. But you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that that you're psyched on it. You know, it's like, that's the thing is there's no such thing as too much passion in the world, you know, people should be fired up on what they're doing.
1: That's just like, and that is the fascinating thing is like, because why me and Tyler work so well is because we are very much opposite in certain ways. But we also come together in like, very, very specific categories. Like we, we, do anything if like we're loyal to a fault and 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 all that stuff he's got great characters but talking to people i can't do that shit so he's very good at like like going out there and just meeting a random dude and keeping up with people i'm awful with that Can't can't do anything about that but and also sports he knows sports real good <laughs> a
2: master i mean a master yeah exactly
0: This episode is brought to you by New Balance. You don't have to be an elite athlete when you pound the pavement. Whether you've run five marathons or you only run when necessary. Whether you're chased by bears, zombies, monsters, the apocalypse is coming. But New Balance will have you covered regardless. Whether you need shoes for comfort, stability, or race day speed, they've got you covered. Because the only right way to run is your way. New Balance. Run your way. Visit newbalance.com slash running to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. You know all those subscription websites, they just hide those charges from you, they're hidden and repetitive and you forget about them. Oh, I know exactly which websites you're talking about, the ones that you like to go to. You do? I've literally spent so long digging through my finances. Rocket Money can help cancel your subscriptions. You're saying Rocket Money is a personal finance app that helps and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings? Absolutely, yes. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses? Uh-huh, yeah. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for me? Up to 20%?
1: Maybe. But for our listeners, definitely yes. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com sports team. That's rocketmone dot com slash S-P-O-R-T-S-T-E-A-M. That's rocketmoney.com sports team.
0: Obviously, when you're super passionate about something, you never really get burned out. When I went to grad school, I, for the longest time, I got burned out of sport, not necessarily because of being required to watch all these sports and be around all of these sports, but I got burned out because I felt like the sports industry turned its back on me. Was there ever a moment where you... Because in climbing, that doesn't really happen, but in, there's a giant community within climbing. Did you ever feel... At any point, like growing up or throughout your career, that you felt kind of ostracized or different, or like you weren't involved or included in that way? No, basically, no. I mean, You
2: know, I've I've never had great social skills. I mean, I've I've uh, I've sort of learned them as I've gone. And, you know, because of things like the Free Solo Movie Tour, I've gotten way more comfortable speaking to groups and speaking to audiences and and whatever. And so I think and part of that's just maturing and becoming an adult and having a wife now. And, you know, I'm, I'm way better. I have better social skills now than I used to. But certainly when I was young. I was a bit of a tweaker, you know, like I was not good at uh, I was very shy, kind of a loner, not, you know, I mean, uh, I was not well adjusted. That's not to say that the community wasn't wasn't good to me. I mean, basically, like the climbing community has always been my, you know, I mean, really, it's been my only community. I mean, I joke that. You know, I only have like one friend from childhood left over who's like a non climber. You know, it's like I went to school with a bunch of people from like second grade through 12th, like kind of one program. So there were a bunch of people that I knew for my whole life. And, you know, only one of them still remains like everyone else I know now is like in the climbing community or, you know, long term climbing friend. Or it's like, I mean, the climbing world is my entire life and it has been for for 20 years. So it's like it's basically everything. It's hard for me to even separate that kind of stuff because it's like climbing has been my entire life. It's yeah, like literally everything is wrapped around the climbing community. Have
0: you ever done ice climbing at all? Yeah,
2: very poorly. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I can't ice climb, but I'm, I'm, I don't like it and I'm not any good at it. Uh, that's, a, it's an interesting question, Tyler, about
1: the ostracization because, um, in, in the YouTube community, which is a fucking nightmare, like don't Alex, don't start a YouTube channel. Like, it's a nightmare <laughs> out here. um, but there are times like I've felt not incorporated in the YouTube community because I don't really like. I don't really interact with a lot of other YouTubers. There's there's many YouTubers that I respect and there's many YouTubers that I, I don't. But it's like I never even talk to the people that I don't. Um, so I've always felt a part of the community. Um, but I wonder, Tyler, because – and I know – like Alex's guess here, but to honest question here is like, do you think that your feeling of ostracization is like part of you being an extrovert and therefore wanting to get feedback from other people? And like, so you would be more sensitive to that because I'm sure there are tons of people in the YouTube community that don't hate my guts and would like want me to, fail and not be a part of their stuff, but I also don't pay them any mind because I am introverted and I am more focused just on on me and the, the people I do care about. Do you feel like you are more sensitive to that because you are extroverted and more in tune with the people around you?
0: I I could fully believe that. I mean, the main thing for me is I couldn't find a job coming out of getting my master's degree and stuff like that. But
2: that's an interesting question because I think my wife is way more extrovert and way more attuned to that kind of stuff, like social things and like whether or not other people are happy and if they care and like was that person offended by this thing that happened and it all just goes right over my head. Like I just don't see or hear any of it and I just don't care. You know, I'm like completely untroubled by it all. I'm like, you know, maybe that is a fundamental personality thing where it's like, oh, if you're a little more extroverted, you just notice that stuff more.
0: And part of that is like Mark and I have had that conversation. It's like his ability to just kind of focus in on the stuff that he cares about and let the outside noise fall away. I feel like that's an advantage that uh, you guys have that I feel like I end up hearing and paying attention to the outside noise because I'm more in tune with it. And so being able to focus in on just kind of what you're passionate about could be a major advantage of for you guys and being able to pursue your endeavors. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of really finding a passion, having something that
2: you can be so focused on that all the noise doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Because I mean, honestly, so much of the modern world is noise. You know, it's like random stuff clamoring for your attention, but stuff that doesn't really matter and isn't going to enrich your life. And like when you die, you're not going to remember and you're not going to care about so many of the random little things. It's like it's nice to have something that you care about enough that, that those distractions fall away.
1: Yeah. And I often find that and I've talked to Tyler about this, but. When it comes down to, let's say, negative comments on, on YouTube, there's many other creators that are, like they pay attention to that and they, they feel really impacted by it. But I've always I've always had the, the thing where I see it and I gloss over it. That's what I was talking about, because I don't know them and they don't know me, therefore I instinctively don't pay any attention to it. But if, say, Tyler said something critical to me, or my girlfriend said something critical to me, it it would kill me. It would hit me so much harder. So it's like, not that I don't feel. Do you ever feel that where it's like the people that you do care about, it's like amplified in a way versus like everything else is noise, but the things that you do care about really strike deep.
2: I don't know if it's necessarily amplified, but I'm totally the same in that, you know, I mean, of course, with the things that I do, you get a lot of public opinion on like, oh, that's, you know, like, he's a bad role model. That's a bad example. Like, this is stupid. Like, he's wasting his life. Like, you know, whatever. But all those kind of comments, you know, yeah, they don't know you. You don't know them. They're just like randomly shouting into the void. You're like, who cares? You know, like everybody can have their opinion. Like, it doesn't matter. But certainly the opinion of my peers matters a lot more. You know, like if if climbers that I deeply respect... Uh, though actually I've never really had like any drama like that in the climbing world but yeah I certainly care more about what my friends think and that's kind of the thing like when you know when you do something hard as a climber and, and you you know it's like put out there like either a film thing or or whatever it's like oh I did this hard thing you know like the, the public response doesn't really matter nearly as much as the response of your friends because if your friends text you being like whoa I can't believe you did that thing then you're like okay like that's proud you know it's like really you just want to impress your friends
1: Mm-hmm. oh that's that's so awesome here i i've met very few people who think in a similar way and it's like to me it's common sense because it's like i i try to tell my like fellow content creators all the time it's like those comments don't matter you don't know them they're probably just like kids scre- like you said screaming into the void it's just like the internet is just a big echo chamber a box that people shout into doesn't mean you have to listen to it
2: and that kind of negativity half the time or like i mean some of the time anyway It's probably not even people that are that negative about whatever you did. It's like people trying to get a comment, trying to get a rise, trying to get you to respond to them. It's like basically people looking for some kind of connection, basically. I feel like on social media platforms, like half of the biggest haters are really just people that want you to engage with them in some way because they're like kind of into it and they just want a connection. And, you know, you're sort of like, like if I could just give you a hug, it would all be fine, you know, but it's like instead it's going to turn into some flame war online. And I'm like, you know, I, I just don't need to worry about it. I'll just like pretend I gave him a hug and call it good and move on like it's it's fine
0: i mean obviously when you like you climb and climbing with people watching is one thing climbing with all the cameras and everything around how did you find like i imagine times and times and times of repetitions where you had the film crew for different different climbs that you had done and everything like that how nerve-wracking was it to try and figure out how to document it without getting in the way and making sure that you could still remain focused especially with L cap and some of these free solos you've done like seeing something out of the corner of your eye and it catching your attention could make like a whole world of difference between life and death in those situations I'm, i mean you obviously worked really closely with the camera team and everything like that but did it take a lot of practice before to be able to get comfortable a, a little bit i mean maybe less than you might think and so one thing um you know,
2: I mean, and and people sometimes frame the question kind of as you did, it's like, oh, you know, there are people all over the wall or there are cameras all over. But so in the film Free Solo, when I did the Free Solo Velcap, there were, I, I forget now, but maybe five or six people on the wall spread mm-hmm. over a 3,000 foot face. So that basically means that every 500 feet or so, there was like a dude. And, you know, and also all the camera people are all really good close friends and, you know, people that I climb with routinely and, and trust and, but the thing is, if you're passing one person every 500 feet of rock climbing, it does not feel very crowded. You know, you're sort of right. like, you're climbing a really freaking long ways and then you like see one of your buddies and he's hanging 20 feet off to the side to get like a certain angle, like get some rad wide shot or whatever. And you're kind of like, hey, and you know, in general, everybody I saw on the wall, I'm like psyched to see them because you're like covering oceans of granite by yourself. And then you're like, hey buddy. And then they're gone again and you have another 500 feet by yourself. So it definitely doesn't feel like it changes the experience that much. Like you're still very much alone up there. But you just get a few moments where you get to see some friends and, but it did take, as you said, it took a little bit of practice to get to that point. And uh, so for me and the film crew to figure out what the best locations were for them, like what's the least intrusive, uh, you know, where they could have their ropes out of the way. There were a lot of sort of logistical questions of like, how do you get in and out of position without it being in the way? Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the things that we had all, s- th- those were problems that we had solved over the two years that I had to work on the route anyway, because it took me a lot of time just practicing to figure out how to do the climbing. So while we worked on that, we figured out all the camera positions, figured out the strategy. Yeah. I mean, on the actual day when I did it, I mean, I was pretty psyched to be up there with my friends, you know, it felt like we had all been working on the project as a team and you know, it's pretty freaking cool. Like, I, I yeah. mean, fun little story. So Jimmy Chin, the, the co-director of the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, was filming in one of the sort of key locations, 600 feet down from the summit. And when I passed him and made it around this corner uh, from there to the top is like kind of easier climbing. I mean, it's still challenging, but I knew I was in there and I knew it was fine. And so the final 600 feet were kind of like victory lap style where I felt like I was just cruising to the top and having a good time. And Jimmy kind of asked me to to wait for him so that he could be on the summit to get like the like you're getting to the top shot, you know, which is Mm -hmm. like sort of an important shot. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was another guy who had hiked to the top who would be there, you know, to have a camera. But Jimmy wanted to be there to like capture the moment. Um, but I had, I had my phone going in my pocket with timer and I knew that I was going to be close to, to breaking four hours, which, I mean, it was going to be a speed record no matter what, but I kind of wanted to go sub four cause it's just cool to, to climb El Cap with no rope in under four hours. I was like, this is, this is epic, you know? So I was kind of like, yeah, Jimmy, like I can wait for you for a minute, but I'm not going to wait too long cause I want to break four. Uh, it wound up being 3:56, you know? So I didn't have like that much time to spare. Mm-hmm. And so I started climbing the final 600 feet and he was ascending ropes around this corner. And so I could hear him, like, I could hear his gear jangling and everything. And she's, like, hoofing it. You know, he's, like, breathing super loudly, trying to ascend rope as fast as he can. He's, like, <gasps> trying to, like, get up. and And I was, like, cruising up the rock. I was totally you know, at that point I was like peak performance feeling incredible because I was past all the hard parts. I was having a good time. I was like incredibly attuned to it. And so I was making these little bird whistles for him so that he could hear where I was so that he could like keep pace basically. You know, I I felt like I was basically chasing up the wall being like faster Jimmy, faster, you know, as he's trying to get to the top and it's like basically we're all up there having a great time. And so by the time I get to the top, you know, he made it up a few minutes ahead of me. He looked like he's going to freaking die, you know, (laughs) he's like going to have a freaking heart attack because he's like ascending these free hanging ropes as fast you can. And I get up and I'm like, what a, what a great experience, you know? So in, in that way, I think when done well, having a, having a crew around documenting, it doesn't really change, you know, it's basically you and your friends having this incredible experience together in nature. Like it's, it's still a pretty good time.
0: Yeah, it's like making something and building something and having them there to see something that you've pushed yourself to do and worked so hard to do. It's then you get that celebration moment at the end.
2: I mean, in, in that case, especially, we had all worked so hard on it, you know, because yeah. the film crew had been helping me carry ropes up and down and equip ropes and pull them up and down on the cliff. I mean, it's just a lot of hard physical labor that we'd all been doing together for literally years. And so you're like, it's just great to to feel like the whole team is is you know by uh by by sheer good luck the next day in yosemite was a uh, sunday and they do this crazy sunday brunch at the fancy hotel in yosemite and so the entire crew and everybody all went to sunday brunch and just freaking gorged, and it was like a nice you know sort of rap party celebration like holy shit we did this thing now we're gonna go eat like a you know nutella filled french toast until we all die <laughs> <It's> so funny <laughs>
1: it's I, like, oh, so fascinating it's it's uh one of my favorite uh lines from the movie um bes- uh, besides the van of course i love the van was just like that moment where you uh, look at the camera towards two-thirds of the way and you just go like, I'm not dead yet. That's one <laughs> yeah. of my favorite. Because <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it is just kind of like you're just making a joke and it's just like casually going up there. But then I, I was just like, because this is my ignorance i I never do research before any of this stuff so i'm looking at the free solo wikipedia page i just read the most nonsensical sentence in the controversy section i don't know if you've ever gone in. is
2: here. there no i didn't know there was one now i'm gonna open it right now there's <laughs> yeah. a there's a controversy around free solo it's hilarious um but i'm gonna open it right now i'm like what the heck
1: yeah it's some uh analysis from uh simon fraser university professor of history and geography Uh, not a climber apparently um but it makes me think that people buy in too much into what the story and what the movie and the emotions of the movie is because obviously a movie needs to have drama and it needs to have heightened emotion and there's got to be risk and danger to it and naturally there is but it's just this quote at the end here is taylor echoes benson allot's allot in the description of honnold's challenges and risks throughout the film quote Make no mistake, we are watching the co- commodification of actuarial suicide. And I'm like, the fuck does that sentence even mean? Like, <laughs> it's, it's just like the most nonsensical things that people will say and try to analyze about what amounts to a very difficult and, yes, risky thing but done in the most professional safest way possible. Like just because something's dangerous doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done in my mind. And there are different Mm -hmm. levels of that, but that entirely depends on the person's ability and, and confidence in their own skill to do it. And so obviously you did it and it was filmed beautifully and the movie was crafted. And yet people can like take these weird opinions out of it that are in no way any part of the actual creative process like
2: no it's funny you say that so now i just pulled up the the wikipedia i'm gonna have to read this a a link later (laughs) i'm like so interesting but but so surprisingly actually his take there is not that far off sort of my personal opinion on some sports as well because like i mean throughout the film actually i don't know if you remember in the film free solo there's this long rant there's sort of like long uh Uh, what do you even call that? Just like I give this sort of soliloquy, like I give this talk in the middle where I'm talking about uh, like warrior spirit and like warrior culture sort of stuff. Like, you know, you have to be a warrior. It's slightly embarrassing for me to hear it now because that came from uh, some climbing we were doing in Morocco. Basically, we were doing this like month of hard climbing and I was like by myself. uh, Well, I mean, we were filming, but I was like staying by myself and all my downtime, I was watching this show uh, Spartacus, like some slave Mm uprising. It's basically like sex and violence, like mindless television. The HBO one? uh yeah or no it was like stars or something i think like, yeah, like it was that, yeah. something like kind of yeah. trashy but like kind of amazing you know it's like perfect mindless distraction when you're doing like hard physical thing all day and then you go back to your room and you just watch people Is like
1: that the one, I, I quote i think i quote that all the time because it was like just a jupiter spreads cheek to ram cock and ass like i just quote that all the time randomly to my friends and they have that no idea what they're... i'm talking about like it's from this fucking weird i don't i can't even <laughs> explain where it comes from
2: well so i was watching that show it was basically about gladiators, and it was kind of like you know I couldn't help but feel like filming free soloing was like modern blood sport sort of stuff because you're mm-hmm. basically and and I actually think that even more so with mainstream sports like like American football and things. Oh yeah, you're like this is basically like modern gladiators where it's like people are for sure getting injured. You know you, when you think of all the freaking brain injury stuff and like crazy, it's just crazy how much money goes into watching people hurt each other for entertainment. You know, and that is kind of the tension in in the film Free Solo is like, oh, like is he going to die? You know, it's like you are watching because you are sort of like, oh, is this person like, is this a snuff film? You are like, this is pretty hardcore. I mean, obviously, I don't see it that way because you know I am doing it for the passion of climbing and and for the challenge of it, and, and you know because what climbing has given to my life. But if you are just looking at it as an entertainment product, you are like, oh, this is kind of kind of hardcore. Like this is kind of crazy. I don't know. I mean, I think maybe one of the differences though is that Free Solo, the film, is a bit of a one off sort of thing. You know, it's like you just can't. Make films like that all the time. There isn't like yeah. Free Solo 2 and Free Solo 3. It's like it basically documents like a unique moment in my life as opposed to other sorts of mainstream sports where it's like every Sunday people go out and just like club each other on the head as hard as they can. And you're like, that's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah. And that's what I think from that quote is like the commodification of actual aerial suicide. It's beautifully worded, but it's like, yeah, the commodity is like what typical sports are today and not that it's a bad thing like there there's entertainment to be had about it but it's like it buying into what i was saying about like the story of free solo is is the the movie as an entertainment product and then the actuality of it is like the the climbing of it and the reason for it um but that's fascinating that like that that this this view and tying it into other sports is like yeah it is I guess it is, like, very similar to that um, in terms of there's something base human about wanting to look at a car crash. You know, they want to know what the end is when they can distance themselves from it and turn it Mm. into just a story purely from the story's sake of it. Um, And I think that's a fascinating, like um, there's no wrong answer. It's just a matter of perspective.
2: Yeah. Actually, I mean the term actuarial suicide, like, yeah, it's true that if you just took the whole free solo film process and you multiplied it by a thousand or, or, you know, 10,000 for sure, I would die, you know, some of those times because it's like, it's, it's a numbers thing. But if you applied that to a mainstream, like just sort of a sedentary lifestyle, that would be true as well. You know, you take somebody just chilling on their sofa, like eating a, you know, whatever it's like. You multiply that out by by fifty years. I mean, and that basically basically is actuarial science. You know, it's like you're running life insurance assessments of like, well, you're middle age, you you're sedentary, you're overweight, like you're probably going to die young. You know, and it's like that's also actuarial suicide. So you're kind of like, well, you know, which is which is better or worse? I don't know. I mean, free solo climbing. It's true that if you were just doing elite hardcore free soloing all the time, like yeah, you would eventually die. But if you do it very sparingly. As sort of a highlight to years of training and effort, you know, it's like, yeah, it's risky, but you're you're choosing your risks very intentionally. And I feel like for most people, uh, you know, living a normal lifestyle, you're just not choosing your risks that intentionally. Like, I mean, you are you are taking risks with lifestyle, but you just don't think about them.
0: I mean, even along those lines, like if you have a really long commute that you take every single day, totally based on statistics, that's the exact same thing, because car accidents take more lives than most other things. And and so it's one of those things where it's like if you look at everything under a microscope in actuary and you expand it to a large, broad spectrum, especially things that are high risk or even things we con- consider normal that have a higher risk that we refuse to acknowledge in a lot of ways, you're going to run into that same issue.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, the interesting elements of rock climbing, and especially if you're like a full time or professional rock climber, it's like a big part of your life is evaluating and managing risk, like thinking about risk, like taking something that that could be or should be dangerous and trying to make it as safe as possible. And so, I mean, that's definitely the case with free soling, but even just normal roped climbing, it's still inherently somewhat dangerous. And so you're always thinking about how to minimize those, that risk, minimize
0: the danger as much as possible. Do you think that's a big part of like picking the rock face too, especially when you're doing trad and, and things along those lines is knowing where the holds are and making sure you understand Because, I mean, a big part of rock climbing is self-awareness and knowing your capabilities and not going beyond them to a point to where you're increasing your risk to an insane point. But also being able to push yourself to advance requires that ability to be like, okay, this is something that I've never really done before, but you take the safety precautions so that you're prepared.
2: Yeah, I mean, in order to improve, you try to push yourself to failure as much as possible. But then there's certain situations where if you fail, you'll die or you'll be severely injured. And so, yeah, as you said, there's a lot of self-knowledge involved. (laughs) Like You really have to know when you can push yourself, when you can't, when it's safe, when it's not. I mean, that's why so much of climbing is evaluating risk, like managing fear, all those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, and my brother also does like backcountry, like avalanche zone kind of skiing stuff. And he does paragliding, which is his main passion now. And that's all he kind of talks about. And it's it's one of those things because as I was watching Free Soul, I saw a lot of relatability in in you and my brother in the sense of like how you approach things and how you see things. And when you're super passionate about something, it's like you just keep after it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Um, and so that was that was really unique for me from a personal experience to take away from that is in in a way I kind of saw and understand how my brother's brain works in a different from seeing what you do and seeing the aspects of what he does and being able to be like. Oh, that's interesting because it created that same kind of dynamic of the focus around passion. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of what he does, obviously, is evaluating risk. And also on top of that, like it was showcased in the movie, but the amount of reps that you had spent on El Cap and the amount of me- mental reps with your notes and everything that you had, like there's probably a much like broader amount of footage that was there to be able to make you feel comfortable and be ready and be prepared to be able to do that.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely it's all about the preparation. I mean, that's the thing. If you're trying to minimize risk, if you're trying to take something dangerous and make it feel comfortable, it's like preparation, training, you know, visualization, any, you know, whichever avenue you choose there. But like, there, there are only a handful of tools available to you. So you kind of have to use them all. It's like, I'm going to train physically, I'm going to train mentally, like I'm going to be absolutely ready to make sure that this this thing that I want to do is as safe as possible when I do it.
0: Yeah, especially talking with your fellow climbers that had climbed El Cap multiple times and done different free solos in different areas and things like that. That was that was the part that I really took from it is the amount of preparation that went into it and focus.
2: Yeah, I mean I think that was a that was a common theme for the film. I think audiences that this is what I was saying earlier where nobody comes out of the movie being like I want to go free soloing, but they come out of it thinking if you want to do something hard, you should prepare for it, you should train for it, you should put the necessary time into it.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think people ever emphasize mental reps enough like visualization of what you're going to do in any discipline because in in sports definitely and you hear about like people that are like top level boxers they are always like mentally going through their moves and responding like things and i'm like being able to visualize the entire rock face um not only reinforces in your head when i'm when i'm uh acting i i'm bad at memorizing things like i'm bad with words and names that fall out of my head um but the only way that i've ever been able to memorize something is by visualizing myself acting out the scene in the beats that it needs to be and then it's like instantaneous like i can remember that even though it's a more complex thing and it disciplines me and to prepare for it it's like as i was coming out of filming i was mentally already editing it i don't know if you've ever done any video editing it's very very boring for some people i've i've loved it for some reason um but i was mentally editing it in my mind stitching the shots together um and it's like that kind of mental preparation uh people can put in the hours in like a gym or something or but if you're trying to play at the top level you have to be like in it on on whatever you're doing and then off hours when your physical body is too tired your brain is still going and you need to keep thinking about it and for me sometimes I can't help but think about it um I have uh I have ADD ADD um you know I, but that's just like I got diagnosed way late um like when I was 21 um but I I don't think that that's any core feature of just that I I just about the things that I am Obsessed about even if adhd not adhd uh it is just a factor of like when there's something you're passionate about you can't help but think about it all the time and that thinking about it is so integral to executing it when it's time to Mm -hmm. actually make it happen um so it's not really a question it's more like a general statement
2: no, I think that's particularly true, though, when you're doing things that are dangerous or things that you'll only do once. And so actually, when you said, you know, boxers visualizing a fight, I mean, that that's probably a good analogy with with climbing or free solo climbing anyway, uh, because realistically, you're only going to do the fight once. And so you want to be absolutely as prepared as possible before you do it. And mm-hmm. so with free soloing, it's much the same. You know, you can practice physically as as long as you need, but, but you're only going to do the free solo once. And so visualization and sort of mental preparation is something that you can do. Uh, you know, sort of infinitely to prepare for that one time that you're actually going to do the real thing. And I mean, yeah. there are a lot of other things in life, like if you're trying to be a power lifter or something, like visualization probably doesn't matter quite as much because you can just try the thing that you're you're trying over and over. You know, visualization probably matters a little bit to like break through mental hurdles and things or, or like to to break through mental blocks. But, you know, if it's something that you can just try over and over, then, you know, just go for it. But it's like, there's so many things in life where you're only going to get your one shot. It's like, you got to make sure that shot counts. And that's where the mental preparation really comes in.
1: I'm a big believer in the mind. Sorry,
0: Tyler, I swear I'll let you talk. (laughs) No, you're good. You're go ahead. Go ahead. I'm a
1: huge believer in like the mind body connection. I I believe that they're integral. They're like, they're connected in ways that we can't ever like fully understand because a lot of it is just in the subconscious. But in that visualization, like especially even with power lifters, um, I know that, some power lifters like they only lift once every 30 minutes because they give their body full rest. But it is such a intensely minute chain of muscle actions going from floor to above your head of like complete controls. Like if you didn't do the mental prep, like the power of the imagination. Uh, And the ability to visualize these things is just like not leveraged in day-to-day things. There's been numerous cases of uh, nonverbal, like autistic children who never spoke a word in their entire childhood. And yet when they finally were able to speak at age like six or seven or something like that, they were able to speak perfectly, even though they'd never physically practiced it. And it's all because in their mind they were practicing it. And that practice was almost just as valid and subconsciously moving Mm -hmm. muscles and like thinking about it had an impact on their ability to perform the action. And I think like when you get to that level of chess grandmasters, they visualize. Entire games, they have libraries of games in their head, um, that they've practiced and rehearsed, and they're imagining
2: new moves. Yeah, Mike, is that even visualizing? They're just playing the games in their head, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> at that level, you're not even visualizing, you're not like imagining, you're just actually playing games. <laughs> like, can you imagine? It's like a whole different level.
1: God, if I was in a different discipline, I'm like, I don't even know who I'd be. Yeah, but I hope I could do it. I mean, maybe I'd fall on my face and fail. I'm just, I'm lucky, I'm at least somewhat decent at what I do, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's really cool to think about.
0: Is there any particular rock face that you've like not been able to climb that you've really wanted to be able to do or planning to do in the future?
2: No, I mean, they're they're almost limitless cool objectives around the world. I mean, there are tons of destinations and, like, incredible walls and inspiring mountains and faces and and things. You know, there's a lot that I want to do. At this point, there isn't really anything that's gotten away. I don't know. There's this thing in Alaska that I've... I have did two expeditions. This place called the Ruth Gorge is kind of... I don't know. It's just like a glacier that has a bunch of 5,000-foot rock and ice walls above it. You know, we kind of tried to climb... I don't know. Yeah, they're basically the things I'd like to do in the world, but nothing... You know, like if, if I had to just hang up my hat and never climb again, I wouldn't feel like I'd I'd missed out. You know, like I've gotten to do most of the things that I'm really excited about. At this point, I just, uh, you know, carry on. You know, I just find like other cool things and like try other things that are challenging and like fun new projects. Yeah, I mean, like this summer, I'll probably be going on this expedition to like several sort of new places for me, climbing some big walls in, in uh, sort of the northern U.S., Canada, and Alaska. They're all, I'm sure it's all going to be amazing.
0: Yeah. But, you know. Is that kind of like why you went to Antarctica recently? Because I, I saw that you took that trip. How was that?
2: Yeah, actually, that was uh, my first, the, kind of sort of me dipping my toe into more high altitude mountaineering. I climbed mm-hmm. the highest peak in Antarctica, which is kind of high. And then actually, I went to, uh, to Aconcagua, which is the highest peak in South America.
1: There are mountains in Antarctica?
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Antarctica is actually really high. It's a Whoa. really high elevation in general. Whoa. And cold. There's actually a lot of like decent rock in Antarctica too, just rock sticking straight out of ice. It's I've done two trips there. It's it's really cool.
1: I often forget that Antarctica is just a continent in and of itself. And it's like massive. I just never think about it. But yeah, there's a mountain range, multiple mountain ranges in it. That's nuts.
2: Yeah, many very, very large mountain ranges. But, um, but yeah, that trip this winter was just my sort of little foray into checking out high altitude mountaineering. And my takeaway mm-hmm. was that I wasn't into it, didn't like it, not doing any more of it. Anymore, I was like, this is not for me, but which was kind of, which was good <laughs> because it was just a, you know, three or four week trip. And it sort of reaffirmed, you know, what I want to do with, with my time in my life. You know, you're always, and I feel like this is probably true in any discipline, but you're always kind of wondering like, oh, should I be doing something different? Should I be like taking on different challenges? Should I, should I be aspiring to something new? And, you know, basically I tried climbing big mountains and I was like, you know what? I actually hate climbing big mountains. Like, I don't really like climbing ice and snow, but I love rock climbing. I was like, I'm just going to stick to doing the thing that I love doing. <laughs> you know, Is like,
0: that kind of like the what's next mentality that everybody kind of was like, oh, you did this. Now what's next kind of thing? I mean,
2: you know, probably a little bit of that, though. I've I've always... Uh, I'm a pretty well-rounded climber. I mean, I've done lots of expeditions to different places and and traveled widely. And like, uh, I've put up roots on all seven continents. You know, it's like I've done a lot of climbing and I've always been interested in all of it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, people are always like, what's the next big thing? And you're like, I don't know, what is the next big thing? And so you try a few things and you're like, you know what? Don't care about those things. I'm going to focus <laughs> on, on the things that I do really care about.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I tried um, music myself because it was like almost, uh, you know, I'm on... YouTube, whatever, I was like, ah, you know, maybe I've always had this like desire like to do music so I learned a few songs on guitar played it during uh this live show that Tyler and I did we also did improv on the show um mm. I loved improv hated performing music but I did it and I was like all right never again I put in all that work to do that thing and I'm like all right I'm good I'm never doing that
2: but I think that's just as important to learn you're like well that's now off my life list like never gonna waste any mental energy like wondering if I should be working on something like that because you're like you know what I shouldn't be because I don't like it
1: hundred percent because in doing those new things I did discover that i liked making uh larger uh, productions i i made i had a uh, opportunity with youtube originals to like make a bigger film project and i was like i've been dabbling in it and i want to see what it's like working with the crew and i've learned i kind of loved it parts of it <laughs> uh like uh working with other people is difficult uh when you work so much on your own but it was like there was something really nice about being able to make a bigger project and anyone out there like like who is I I often encourage is like try new things, even if you're really good at something like try something new. I think it's that Mm -hmm. curiosity that drives people to explore not only getting deeper in their own discipline that they're passionate about but exploring what else they could be passionate about. It's it's
0: very important. I totally agree. Yeah, And it's kind of one of those things that as you develop and work on those, even if it's just to try it out, you get skills that potentially cross over um, into other aspects of life. And I was actually really curious about this because obviously I've done rock climbing throughout my life, not to the the extent that you have. Um, But I'm curious what kind of skills you've seen that have crossed over from like the focus, the endurance, every aspect of climbing that has become so ingrained in you into your like regular life.
2: Well, it's hard to say because climbing is so deeply ingrained. Like, every, you know, climbing is at the core of my whole life. So it's hard to know Mm -hmm. how much of my development as a person is because of climbing versus just general growing up and maturing and whatever else. But I do think that climbing helps put the rest of life in perspective you know like managing fear managing risk like struggling all the time you know having challenges i just think that climbing and actually and i think part of that is probably because so much time climbing is spent outdoors and when you spend time in nature and in the elements you just realize that a lot of things just don't matter that much you know it's like i I think about this all the time when i'm in airports when i have to travel for work and things and you see people like stressing you know like whether or not their flight's going to be delayed or whether they'll make their connection and whatever and you're like You know you're gonna be just fine like there's ample food and water around you Mm -hmm. know worst case scenario you get put in a hotel for a night like who cares you know like it's gonna be just fine like either you're gonna make the flight or you're not but you stressing isn't gonna change it one way or another and either way you're gonna be comfortable you're like is that really something to worry about and so i think climbing helps put those kinds of things in perspective you know and when people are like stressed about like weird mundane life stuff like oh you know like is this paint the right color for my thing you're like who fricking cares? You know, like when you're dealing with sort of like mortal risk all the time, it just, you know, the rest of life just feels so chill.
1: That's a, It's one of those things that's like, it's so easy to say. It's so hard for people to understand it. It's like, you need constant reminders of that, like out there. I, even I, I, I definitely, I agree with that full wholeheartedly. And yet I still, am like, man, yeah, no, I can't let the things that recently that have been bothering me distract me. Cause it's just like, yeah, no, in the long run, it doesn't matter. It'll get done. And that's almost always been my attitude.
2: I think being slightly afraid for, for your life for time to time is a really healthy and like sort of helpful outlook because it makes the rest of life so, uh, you know, it just puts it in perspective. You can be grateful for like the comforts of home and like the relative simplicity and ease of life. You because know, realistic, I mean, certainly, you know, us chatting here, it's like, we're all going home to a comfy bed and like good food and like good community. And it's like, it's a pretty freaking easy lifestyle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're in the developed world right now, like, your life is pretty, pretty freaking chill. I mean, basically the most chill that any human's life has ever been in human history. Uh, you know, and yet it's easy to lose sight of that when you're, like, stressed about, you know, your work or whatever is going on. And so I think... That climbing and and specifically doing any sport that keeps you in the outdoors all the time just keeps you a little bit more in touch with with you as a human animal. You know, where you're like, man, being in civilized society really makes life pretty comfortable compared to like being in the elements. And like, I don't know, like the the last time I was climbing outside uh, y- yesterday, uh, we were up on this big mountain climbing these like really. It's sport climbing, so it's just a single pitch climbs. It's just like a hundred foot tall cliff, but way up on this mountain. And an afternoon thunderstorm rolled in. And it was basically just pissing rain. And so for the time that we hiked down the mountain, it like felt all treacherous and rainy and kind of hardcore. And it's just a reminder that you know sometimes you're like, well, clouds build, it rains, you get wet, you get cold, you're uncomfortable, and like that's just the way life is sometimes. And I just think that when you live in a in a city or a sedentary lifestyle, you can just get too detached from that a little bit. You're like, oh, I just want things to be comfortable and easy at all times. And it's like, you just need a little reminder that it's just not always easy. Like sometimes life is hard. It makes you appreciate the comfort more.
0: Is that part of the reason why you started your foundation and bringing like solar energy over to the underdeveloped? Areas and stuff like that is just that thought and that aspect that you've seen in like around the world as you've been climbing and then going and traveling and being like, why are people stressed about this when you know it'll be fine? And whereas other places they won't be.
2: No, that's exactly it. I mean, I started the Hanlon Foundation ten years ago and it supports uh, community solar projects around the world, basically energy access projects abroad. It, yeah, it was largely that. I mean, sort of the the injustice in life. I don't know. I mean, I kind of founded it because I was like, what's the inherent fairness of it? Like, you know, there are billion. People People living on earth without access to energy and and sort of living in, in, in poverty. You know, just by sheer good fortune, I was born in a place that I got to be a professional climber. You know, I found this thing that I love to do. I've got to do it my whole career. I get to make a good living from just climbing on rocks. And I'm like where is the where's the karmic justice and like that's so crazy because you go on climbing expeditions too and and as a climber when you go on an expedition you go to the most remote parts of the world and then you live there for quite long periods of time often so you're like in some rural part of remote africa living for a month in the middle of nowhere and so you get to see you know like rural villagers all over the world living in totally different ways and you see their kids growing up and you're kind of like you know it's just a roll of the cosmic dice that that these kids were born here and that i was born in suburban california it's like there's no inherent fairness in that one way or another. I feel like so starting my foundation was just one way of trying to address that, that kind of inherent fairness.
1: I didn't even know about the foundation. I'll have to donate to it.
2: Oh, I oh, appreciate it. Honolfination.org. If you're curious, it was just my, my attempt at doing something useful. I mean, it's one of those things If you spend all your time, basically recreating outdoors and rock climbing, you are sort of like, should I be doing something a little better? You know, like, should I be trying to do something slightly helpful in the world? And so yeah. this was my attempt at, at trying to do something useful.
0: Along the same lines. Is that kind of why you started being a part of the host of your, your climbing podcast, like to be able to give back to the climbing community that's given you so much?
2: Yeah. So my climbing podcast is, is climbing gold. Uh, so named because we started it before the, the Tokyo Olympics, which is the first time that climbing uh, entered the Olympics. And mm-hmm. so we felt like it was this interesting moment in, in climbing history where, you know, climbing is like right on the cusp of going fully mainstream. And so we kind of wanted to explore a little bit where climbing had come from and where it was going at this interesting moment in, in climbing history. You know, now we're, we're a couple seasons past that and we're just exploring other interesting stories and interesting ideas within the climbing world. But it has actually been kind of fun to create something. Because, you know, I've never I've never done anything like that. I've never had like a body of of work in some way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because the thing with hard climbs is like you do a hard climb, maybe somebody films it, maybe somebody doesn't. But either way, it's just kind of immediately behind you and, and people can't really like interact with it in any way. So climbing gold has been kind of a fun way of, of highlighting good climbing stories, but also sort of creating something for the climbing community.
0: That's awesome. really cool. I'm just going to
1: interject for one second everyone listening and watching this on Spotify. Uh, I just made a $1000 donation to the Honold Foundation. If you want to make a donation, donate with me.
2: honoldfoundation.org. I'm so touched. I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: No, charity is a big thing, but for me and Tyler, like we're yeah. we're always doing like charity events, charity streams. He worked with um Tiltify uh, for a long time. Uh he's still like consults every once in a while um but just tiltify is also a fundraising platform for stuff so like we're big on charity like we're down to support anybody and our fan base also is huge about like making contributions to this
0: that's awesome i appreciate that yeah we have the same kind of aspect as we're in a position where it's like we've been gifted so much in our lives and there's so many ways that we want to be able to give back and help other people to advance their lives or be in a better situation or get to the point to where they can do things that they want to do. And so um, it's one of those things that it's always been a big aspect of since Mark started YouTube. And since I've been around um, doing scouts and other stuff is being able to give back and give people a better chance at an opportunity at life.
2: That is the, to bring this back to climbing. I do think that that's a key thing from the climbing world is like, if you have enough, you don't need more. And it's like, and if you have something that you're already really passionate about, and you have enough and you're leading your life. I mean, and this is a big part of why I started the Honor Foundation is that, you know, I have enough. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I'm passionate about what I'm doing. I'm leading my best life. Anything else I don't need. And so I can give that through the foundation to to support, you know, all kinds of useful projects around the world, basically support environmental projects, you know, help the people that need it. To me, that I feel like that should be a slightly more like I wish that was more of the default. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like once you have enough, you call it good, you know. It's like you just don't need more. Like you don't need the freaking mega yacht, you know. Like you don't need the the private plane. It's like you're freaking fine. Like you're you're leading. Like you're comfortable. You're doing the thing you love to do. Call it good. Like pass on the rest. Neither of you guys has a mega yacht, right? I was just throwing
0: it out. There. No, <laughs> no. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> just just making sure. <laughs> um, but I love the cl- climbing community because you go to a rock one. It's like, oh, I forgot this piece of gear. And it's like, oh, I got a spare one. Or oh, yeah, like um like talking about the pitches and stuff like everybody, like unless you ask for it, they don't interject. And then if you end up in a situation like, Oh, I'm, uh, I spilled my water. Somebody's there to offer water. And Dude. I've always I've always loved that about the climbing community because it's like, oh, I got plenty. Yeah, I can help you out for that moment. or It's
2: probably because every every climber has always been in that position of need themselves. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the community always helps people out because they've always been the one who's like, oh, it just started raining and I don't have a coat or like I'm now freezing or I forgot like a critical piece of gear or whatever. It's like. I, I totally agree that someone's always got your back because everyone's always gone through the same thing themselves.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a great thing that the climbing community offers for any of you that are not sports people, which is the majority of people listen to the podcast. Like that's why one of the big reasons why I love sport. There, there are people within different sects of sport that can be real dickheads. I I know it myself from playing football and other stuff. But there's communities, especially the climbing community, that are incredibly accepting, incredibly welcoming, and will be there to be like yo, I can help you out if you need help or be there for you if something happens. Like, It's truly an incredible experience where people can come together about something they're really passionate about and really inspire other people to do the same thing and be there for them if something goes wrong.
2: I actually think climbing is the sport for people that aren't into sport. I mean, that's, you know, that's how I wound up as a professional climber is I'm terrible at balls and holes and sticks and like all the other weird team games. And, you know, I lack the social skills to be on a team. I lack the coordination to play any other sports. But, you know, I'm I'm athletic enough. You know, it's like I'm like I can use my body but I just wanted to, I wanted to problem solve on my own. I wanted to, to set my own terms kind of, you know, like work on things at my own pace. It's like, I mean, climbing is definitely the sport for people that aren't into sport. It's like something really fun and engaging that you can do with your body, but you can do it in your own terms. This is
1: perfect. Yeah. There's climbing gyms all over the place nowadays. Like you probably have one in your city. If you're listening to this, um, go check it out. They're very friendly. Everyone I've been to have been very friendly, very accommodating. There's only been one that there was a guy who was a dick, and if, honestly, he was even charming by himself. Like there was something charming about him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I would always say climbing is is the uh, best way to date if you're if you're on the prowl. It's like you go dating at the climbing gym.
1: One of my girlfriend's friends is in, in, is in a predicament because they've run out of guys to date at the same gym. I've heard, I probably can't talk
2: <laughs> about this. <but> she,
1: <laughs> I probably can't say anything
2: about well, this. Well, that just means she needs to move to greener pastures. She just needs to switch switch gyms for a little while, which in LA is tough because it's so hard to drive between them. But
0: Or just go to an actual rock face, you know? Well, who are you going to meet out there? Tons of people. Handsome climbers. <laughs> <to be> handsome <laughs> <Yeah>. climbers. <laughs> All right. One last question before we sign off, because the name of the podcast is Go My Favorite Sports Team. Is there a sports team or sports person that either inspired you or you root for or always cheer for? You have friends, obviously, within the climbing space or anything like that, that, you know, you look up to or, or cheer for all the time or rooting for success for?
2: Short answer. No, I basically don't care about teams. So I've, the, the thing I appreciate about mainstream sports, like playing with balls, is the athleticism and sort of the, the human potential, like basically I want to see human excellence. So I want to see great players achieve greatness. And so I never really care that much about teams unless, unless that is the greatness. Like, I mean, because some teams work well because they're a really good team. Like actually a, a friend of mine was just explaining to me that, because uh, the NBA finals is going on right now that the uh, oh, yeah. that the Miami Heat or whatever isn't really like a superstar team, but they're just a great freaking team with great coaching. And I'm like, oh, I appreciate that when you can take a bunch of people who are undrafted and aren't necessarily the biggest talents in the league, but they can work well together and perform at a really high level. Like I can I can appreciate that. But like I don't freaking care about the Miami Heat, you know? It's like yeah. I just want to see people achieve excellence. Like I mean, I think that the whole point of sport is to bring out the best in people. And so I like seeing great athletes perform at the top of their game. So, you know, I'd say I'm I'm sort of a casual fan of like somebody like LeBron James, though he seems to not be achieving excellence right now, exactly or his team isn't. I'm not actually following the but they're yeah. like down by a bunch right now. But but in general, you know, it's like somebody who has spent 20 years in a league Always performing at a very high level and and trying really hard, you know, like putting a lot in somebody like Kobe Bryant, where you're like, oh, he put his whole freaking life into excellence and, and really performed it at that level. I mean, you're like, you're freaking like Tom Brady in the NFL. Like, I'm not a huge football fan, but I'm still, you just have to respect somebody who has achieved at that level, you know, you're like, oh, true. and and to play that long, you're like, Jesus, you know, he's like a, it's like yeah. a, a dinosaur The <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: I have nothing but respect for Tom Brady. And on this podcast, we have nothing but respect for Tom Brady.
0: I respect Tom Brady. I just... <laughs> you just don't like Tom Brady? Don't listen to me. He does not like Tom Brady. <laughs> I don't know anything about him, but... Yeah, I know. Oh, man.
2: He's
1: just it's always in my heart.
0: No, I respect him. He's a great athlete. He's a great athlete. Um, I have nothing against Tom Brady. I have, I have stuff against how the media portrayed him and the greatest of all time conversation oh, and team sports and go. stuff like that, but... Oh, no. He's, he's a great athlete and I respect that a out of it. That's
2: the thing is I, I prefer to sidestep all those kinds of things Where it's like, who's the greatest of all time? I'm like, I don't know, because I don't know any of the sports well enough. But mm-hmm. most of the big names that, that sort of transcend sport like that, like, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron, like whoever, like they transcend because they're among the best ever and they've put a ton of work into it. And I think it's fair to say that they're all showing human potential in in some way or another. Like they're very freaking good at what they do. I don't know. So, I mean, that's what I appreciate about sports, but like, I just don't get the, the, the tribalism of it, you know, where it's like, who cares if like your city. And I think it's so weird because none of the players are from the city anyway. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. people are like, Oh, it's our team. And you're like, but these are all people that are drafted from like abroad, you know, (laughs) and like from wherever else they're brought in from like literally the whole world. And, And then you claim that they represent your city and you're like, they, just don't they're gonna move as soon as they they hit free agency or whatever you're kind of like come on it's just it's just a weird thing
1: i'm in the same vein but being on this podcast and learning from tyler actually has kind of changed my perspective on it because i do get people's natural inclination to want to feel included in something there was a there was an event a boxing event and i know it's not a team-based thing um called the creator clash that happened recently where a bunch of youtubers they fought and people who were not a big sports fan, it, it was for charity. It was just like a charity, <laughs> yeah. charity. Oh But really, I'm like, They beat the crap out of each other. Uh, people who watch that who never watched sports before were able to root for their their favorite creator and then they they said afterwards there was a few quotes uh, people quoted saying like oh man i get why people like sports now because that was someone i cared about even if mm-hmm. it was parasocial it's someone they cared about and they can root for and it feels good and and so mm-hmm. i'm starting to understand where the team and city perspective comes from is like you can feel pride it's it's just like feels good to do for but also it's a little nonsensical but when you get into the deep weeds of it, it is interesting
2: yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm the same way. I'm like, I get it, but I'm also just like, ah, uh, it's a little, I don't know. You know how some people like always root for the underdog? I'm like, I pretty much always root for the, what do you call it? The overdog. Like, basically, I want to see the best team win. You know, like, I like seeing, I like seeing teams go undefeated. Like, I like seeing greatness. Like, I like seeing excellence. And so people are like, oh, well, this team, you know, has such a long shot. Let's like root for them, I'm like, no, if they have a long shot, it's because they're not as good. You know, it's like, I want to see the best team win.
0: <laughs> So you really were rooting against the Heat because they were the the lowest seed when they faced the Bucks, who were the one seed in the first round of the playoffs. No, I I, I don't
2: know any of the. I don't know any of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, typically I root like basically
2: my my fan uh, or you know my. uh, I root for the teams in order of their ranking. You know, like, I want to see the number one team win. It's always disappointing when the team that's number one in the regular season, like, doesn't make it to the finals or something. Because you're kind of like, come on, you won all those games and you couldn't take it to the end? Like, in the NHL this season, didn't that just happen with uh, Boston or something? They, like, won a record number oh, yeah. of games and then they lost in, like, the first round of the playoffs or something.
0: I guess they weren't good enough i know that stuff is yeah that stuff is tough i love this perspective i'm not gonna
1: lie i love this perspective i don't i don't 100% fully agree with it but i do also love it like you fell on your face right at the finish line like come on man like that i i do get it that's why i love watching the olympics like olympics is probably my favorite event to watch is because it is like just that peak and you get to see new things that i've never seen before
2: yeah i totally agree i mean the olympics it's like basically i just want to see great human performance like i want to be reminded that humans can do great things and i feel like occasionally in mainstream sports you see that like actually so one of my favorite things now is just watching sports highlights on youtube like a couple times a year i'll like go down some rabbit hole where i watch like the entire nfl playoffs and 10 minute youtube clips and so you're just seeing the best plays. You know, you're seeing a three hour yep. game distilled down to six minutes of excellence. And I'm like, that is kind of my pace for for watching sports, which makes me sound really dumb.
1: Not on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I'm all about that. Look,
2: I mean, the fact that you're watching at all.
1: I missed the Super Bowl and <laughs> our home city was in there and I missed it. Uh, like, but I watched <laughs> highlights of it afterwards. It was and we still lost anyway. But you know, it's like, yeah, all right, cool. So well, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I could keep talking
2: forever. I was just going to say, I, I, most climbers do not care at all about mainstream sports. I think more than most climbers, I care a little bit, partially because I'm like, I'm a freaking professional athlete. I should at least have some idea what other professional athletes are doing, you mm-hmm. know, even though it's like cross sport and whatever else. But like, I, I would say I'm interested. A lot of other, I mean, climbing has such deep countercultural type of roots that a lot of other full-time climbers are just like, F that, like F the man, that stuff is stupid. You know what I'm like? I kind of agree with that, but I'm also like, uh, you know these people are, have still spent their entire lives devoted to you know honing their craft and so i can still respect how well they do their craft like that's mm-hmm. that's my take on most sports
0: thank you so much for coming on the podcast alex um i want to give you a chance to shout out where people can follow you and find you and support you obviously the honold foundation you have your podcast but anything else you want to say where they can follow you and find you and see what you're up to
2: yeah if they care about the work i'm doing honoldfoundation.org uh they can listen to the podcast at climbing gold uh, or really, I mean, they can follow me on social stuff, just at Alex Arnold for everything. But, you know, I'd say a casual person should just watch the film free soul and be like, that's freaking crazy and call it good. You know, it's like, unless you're into climbing, like I, I don't, I don't need anyone to follow. I'm going climbing either way. You know? It's like, I'm not too stressed.
0: Yeah. It's like you said, it doesn't matter. Cause you're having fun focusing on what you want to do, what other people think or what other people do. It's cool to see when they're striving for excellence, but outside of that, it's just not your thing.
2: All, all this stuff aside, I'm going climbing tomorrow. I'm hopefully I'm going to send my project. That's what I care about. You know, it's like that's the important thing is like I want to do the thing that I'm trying to do.
0: And honestly, that's why it's inspiring. Well, I appreciate it. No, it's yeah. a pl- pleasure chatting with you guys. It's been super fun. Yeah. Did we end up asking any questions that you didn't expect or threw you off that nobody else has asked?
2: Well, I don't know. I'd say, I'd say that we went down a much, uh, like, a whole different path than I expected. You know, sort of the existential <laughs> side of climbing. It's like, I was Good. expecting more, like, more nuts and bolts. Like, how do you train? What's your diet? Like, that kind of stuff. This, uh, this is uh, more like, this was more, uh, why do you exist? And what is your purpose? <laughs> I love asking
1: those questions. I love doing that. No, I hope you yeah. had
2: fun. Seriously, thank you. It was a
1: pleasure talking to you. And give the best of luck on all your future climbing endeavors.
2: Yeah, no, it's a pleasure
0: pleasure sharing and yeah, I can't wait to can't wait to see it. Yeah. Well, well thank you very much. Thank you again. And uh, for those watching, uh, we'll catch you in the next episode and you know where to go and where to find us. So follow us on Spotify if you want to watch video exclusively and check out uh you know the merch and other stuff we have going on. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks yes, so much, thank Alex. Thank you very
1: much.